Hello and welcome to the Ambassador Labs podcast, where we explore all things about cloud-native platforms, developer control planes, and developer experience. I'm your host, Daniel Bryant, head of DevRel here at Ambassador Labs, and today I had the pleasure of sitting down with a group of amazing people, including Humanitech CEO, Casper von Grunberg, Nesto's Director of DevOps, Matthew Frenette, and Sintasso's Chief Operating Officer, Paula Kennedy. Join us for a fantastic discussion covering topics such as building platforms in 2022, creating on-ramps for developers, and exploring how to implement self-service and integrate the correct amount of standardization in platforms. And remember, if you want to dive deeper into the motivations for and the benefits of a cloud-native developer control plane, or are new to Kubernetes and want to learn more, check out our free Kubernetes Learning Center and visit getambassador.io to learn more. So welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Really appreciate you doing that. Can we have a quick round of intros around the room? And Matthew, we'll start with you, please. Yeah, hello, I'm Mathieu Frenet. I'm a director of DevOps at Nesto. I am leading a small team of four great DevOps engineers. So what we're doing at Nesto is that we're trying to re- revolutionize how people obtain and renew their mortgages online. So we're really focusing on an exceptional user journey. So we've had in the past year, it's a, we've been uh, on for four years, but in the past year has been an explosive growth and especially in terms of market technology and engineering team. So we're in the process of trying to provide the same kind of very exceptional experience as our customers have, but to our own developers. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to inspire myself from what I've done in the past uh and uh but now i'm doing it at a much greater scale and with much larger challenges but i'm sure that uh, we'll get to talk about that later awesome casper sure so i'm casper uh, i'm a, a software developer focused on platform engineering i've uh, been focusing on that space for quite a while now um i work with um mainly larger enterprises on helping them on their platforming journey. Um, in my capacity as working for Humanitech, we're a platform orchestrator um, that helps. That's one component in the grand scheme of platforms. And um, yeah, that's my little contribution here. Perfect, perfect. Paula, over to you. Hi, I'm Paula Kennedy. I am Chief Operating Officer for a company called Sintasso, which sounds like a super grand title, but mostly it means doing all all the things that aren't the actual engineering of our product. Um, we so Cratix is our product that we've been working on. It's uh, in the platform space, but we're very much focused. Sintasso is very much focused on helping customers uh, try to build their own platforms. So uh, it's kind of a framework for composing a platform as opposed to a off-the-shelf, all-singing-all-dancing platform as a service. Nice. Very nice. And I, I think few of you hinted there, but sort of like platforms and what are platforms. But I'd love to get everyone's take of what is a platform because so many times I bump into folks and one person's platform is a CI pipeline. Another one's is, you know, it's got to be Heroku. Someone else is talking about a cloud vendor. So I'd love to go quick sort of around the room. I'll keep it relatively brief and then we can dive into the details. But what do folks think is a platform? How do you define platform? And Casper, we start with you. Sure. I mean, I can tell you what I think is not a platform. Um, and if if there is a vendor who tells you, "Hey, we're we're a like we're a platform or an internal developer platform, or whatever," then they're actually a pass. Like <laughs> you, you know, that that's like a Roku. Even if you deploy that to Amazon Web Services, you know, that's a platform as a service. 
For me, a platform is the sum of all tech and tools that a platform engineering team binds into a golden path or golden paths or paved roads. And it is used by developers to self-serve with low cognitive load. And that's very important to me. It drives standardization by design for the respective organization. But where the platform is um, will remain a little bit of a blurry definition because it really lies in the eye of the beholder. Like a financial institution will have more focus on compliance and there, you know, there there is not this one thing off the shelf. It's the it's the question. It's the result of the great work that a platform engineering team puts puts in. Perfectly said, and all the key words I'm thinking of, which I'm sure other folks will touch on there. Matthew, what do you think in terms of what is a platform? Yeah, I love your definition, Casper. I'll I'll be more like uh, more intuitive in the way I, d- I describe it. So, uh, but I'd say that is basically everything that we can provide as tools, components, and foundations to help developers do their job more easily, faster, and ideally with more robustness, predictability, repeatability, and confidence. And I I like to emphasize confidence because we really understand that confidence is really key to uh, innovation. It's kind of a prerequisite for innovation if we want people to be... uh, at ease trying out new things, then they need to be confident that uh, uh, they have a solid platform uh, underneath them. Mm, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Paula? Yeah, I I think your point, Daniel, about platform means different things to different people really resonates because I'm like you. I, whenever I speak to people, I hear completely different definitions. Uh, and Casper's yeah. point is well made as well about like people who are selling you a kind of platform <laughs> out of the box is not necessarily what you think it is. Um, I quite like the team topologies definition about having a, um, a platform is basically just kind of a, a curated experience for the developers. And they talk a lot about the thinnest viable platform, Mm. about providing just enough to give the developers what they need to get the job done. And I think um, that that's really for me what a platform is. It's providing enough kind of capabilities that developers can go fast and like have fast flow through the business. That's what team topologies is all about. But not having uh, for developers to have to kind of compile lots of things together or worry about underlying kind of infrastructure concerns or security concerns, like providing a good developer experience, mm-hmm. um, but as thin as possible, not having too many choices, not having too much cognitive load, not having to worry about too many things, just having the platform that enables and gives them a good experience as opposed to a platform that increases cognitive load or makes it harder for people to get their jobs done. Yeah, I'm sure all of us have seen those, right? I know when I was consulting in London, I walked into a few companies where I was like, what? You've just recreated Amazon internally, right? And how does that <laughs> yeah. benefit your developers? And they're like, what developers? Like your customers, which is like maddening, right? Yeah. Always chat to the customer. And that kind of leads on to what I want to explore next, actually, is what do you think the motivations are for building a platform? And I'm kind of front loading this by saying, is it a dev-led thing, an ops-led thing, both, neither, Love to get everyone's thoughts on on like those things. Feel free, anyone who wants to jump in. I, I mean, I have strong, <laughs> strong opinions on this. Go uh, off, perfect, Paula. Start. Well, then. We can all yeah chip in. Uh, so one of the things I've been talking about um, a bit in, in conferences and that is what we what we talk about in Sintasso. We call it this platform gap. But what we're really talking about is the the gap between kind of 
infrastructure, commodity, and value. And whose job is it to get from one to the other? Right. So your question, Daniel, about ops versus devs, I think what lots of people are trying to do is solve that gap. Lots of people, ops and dev, are both trying to solve that gap because everybody wants to get value in the hands of customers, right? Like that's kind of the focus. But I think what we've seen is product teams, particularly very, very strong engineering teams, have ideas about, well, I can just build this myself. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. have lots of thoughts of how to do it. And so they'll just build it. And then another product team and another business division of the same company has the same thoughts. So they build the same thing. And then you end up with this like duplication where yeah, everybody's yeah. building their path to production all over the place. And you've got like multiple platforms and multiple teams doing the same things. And maybe you've also got an ops team that is trying to centralize. Mm-hmm. But the challenge then is if they're not talking to any of these product teams, and they're not doing any user research and they're not meeting their customers' mm-hmm. needs, they're building a solution that maybe isn't going to get used by anybody. So what, we're, what I've seen is a lot of <laughs> platform, internal developer platforms being built by both dev and ops because everybody's yeah. trying to solve their own thing. And somehow people don't think an existing solution works for them or don't want to buy off the shelf, so they'll build something even without the intention of necessarily building a platform. So if a dev team thinks, oh, I'll just do this thing and then I'll just add a bit more to it. I'll just build a CICD pipeline Mm -hmm. and then I'm just going to add a few more things to it, like a bit of a security thing. And then suddenly you get that classic image of like Clippy, the Microsoft thing saying, it looks like you're trying to build a platform. (laughs) Yes. Without even intending to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very valid point. You you cannot not build a platform. You know, that's, I think, the problem. Um, So, and like you can do it consciously. Um, and you you don't do it consciously, and then basically the platform builds itself. Like this is, you know, you you either like you take that serious, and you get a product platform product manager, which I think is sort of the most important thing to do. And then you really structure that, and you you know you have your users. I think like Paula, you're you're absolutely spot on. I think the the question is who is asking for that. Um, I might have a huge bias because for for some reason, like ninety five percent of the people that come to us at least are coming from operations. Um, mm. And so they they are, the, the the most common thing that I hear is like, we're becoming ticket ops, we're so overwhelmed, yeah. we, get, we get repetitive requests. Then you speak, sometimes you speak to the developers in the same organization, they say, oh no, I think it's everything is fine, right? I'm just, you know, if I have a problem, I select somebody or send a Jira ticket or ServiceNow. Um, now that that means for the, for the developers, it's a little bit, you know, they, the the problem might not be as pressing because if I think about when do you not need a platform, it's if everything stays con- constant. You just need to do a git push. I update something into something that's already there. You know, you don't need a platform. You need a platform if you do things that go beyond the the simple update of an image. Now, if if I'm a developer, eighty percent of times all I'm doing is I do git push update and I'm I'm, I'm updating my business logic. Now, for me, the 20% will feel like an edge case. If I'm the operations team and I'm only dealing with these, you know, 20% cases of the developer and dozens of developers actually shout at me, I'm completely overwhelmed. And so I'm seeing the vast majority of pull actually from the operations team, but that also differs by organizational size. So we would see a very large enterprise organization, a slightly different spiel here 
where the developers are confronted with extreme waiting times. So then if you have that, that actually turns the tide and developers would be much more demanding of saying like, hey, we need to have more automation, more self-service. Yeah. But in those smaller ones that are pretty autonomous and small, I'm speaking like below two, 300 developers, I'm often finding that the developers, you know, they, I'm not sure whether they want to have things shift left. I can see mm, them also, you know, re not always reacting very positively. That's definitely a topic for later. Perfect. Matthew, have you any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I find that very interesting what you just said, both of you. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I, I'll talk from my point of view. I, I've, I haven't seen like super huge companies. I work in uh, small startups and medium-sized companies. But what I've seen is that those, all the pipelines and foundations, they usually emerge from the developers themselves uh, that, or, or the ops, but uh, we haven't had the big, big ops department uh, in, in my cases, but it often, it often emerges from developers who build their own CI, CD, they figure what they need to achieve and how to do it as efficiently as possible. They, they know what they're doing. And that's especially true in the beginning when uh, things are small and you want to stay lean. And so that's, that's just great that things are as simple as possible. But eventually th things start, start to scale up uh, and the reality changes. So uh, teams start to be pressured to deliver features they are less focused on all the infrastructure, the foundation, the platform, uh, the technical debt accumulates, uh, and, and even the management rarely acknowledges the cost of technical debt or the necessity to just pay it off. So, uh, so it often happens that uh, the, uh, the platform kinds of get uh, obsolete or uh, no longer um, like, uh, up to the to the task yeah. so so I, I think that in the beginning that's true that uh, it can emerge from people doing the things so the developers are ups but I'd say that in the long run uh, we need the platform team we need to um, because you know as Einstein said you can solve a problem this at the same level of thinking that created the problem mm -hmm. so uh, so people are often too absorbed in their work and the problems they need to to address, and they they start to lose uh, the bigger picture. So what the platform team can do is take a step back, uh, extirpate themselves from the daily noise, look at the big picture, talk to people here, uh, listen to what they have to say, uh, figure the value stream, the bottlenecks, and, and then try to address that. So. It's, uh, I think that it can start simple by the people, but at some point we need to take the, a step back and have that uh, perspective. I have a question on that. I mean, I, I really agree much here with what you're saying. And it, it's one of the challenges I see with that exact sort of evolution of a platform is then you end up where like enterprise customers that I've worked with are very, very big scale. And then they've got, um, you know, developers getting more and more pressure to deliver features, as you just mentioned, and there's more and more pressure on like the platform and the infrastructure to be able to support the speed of change that needs to happen. 
but then a problem I've run into I just wondered if you have is where you've got sort of the the money sits with those product teams and the platform team is either underfunded underinvested in and there's more and more pressure but somehow the business the business prioritizes the products and that's where the money sits and then I've seen weird situations where somehow the product team that's under the most pressure to deliver features maybe they end up funding their own platform which then diverges from the central platform and I just wonder if you've seen that like it's it's an interesting thing where platform teams I 100% agree like really have the opportunity to step back and look at the bigger picture and build the platform that meets the business needs but sometimes I've seen companies not investing in that platform team to give them the opportunity to do that. Yeah, definitely, definitely, right? Uh, and often the platform team can turn into a uh, support team with, uh, like you said, the ticket base and you uh, end up like uh, just having to uh, to resolve, like the, to, to put out the, the, uh, the immediate fires. So, uh, and that detracts you from the platform itself so I think that you're right, that it's, uh, it's really difficult for management to see the value of the platform, to see, uh, or the platform team, because it's one level remote from the value stream, from the uh, ROI. So they don't see, uh, they don't see the, the, the value, or it's very difficult to prove it, to demonstrate, hey, here you see how much time you gain by doing this or that, or how could we gain some uh, some time here or there? It's uh, it's all very abstract. So so I think it can uh, indeed uh, end up uh, having the the platform team underinvested. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think. On that note, something interesting, Casper, I'd like to get your thoughts on metrics are key here because I think if you measure the right thing, to your point, Paul, you can influence people's behavior, right? How you kind of reward folks generally is how they behave. And I've seen when there's no metrics on platforms, it just gets ignored. But if you incentivize folks to put metrics on platforms, like the Dora metrics, Accelerate metrics, all the good work by Nicole Forsgren, fantastic stuff. And um, that, I've, my experience, can help. But Casper, I'd love to get your thoughts on, can you use metrics to, to sort of drive a successful adoption of a, a platform? Well, I think one of the problems that we're confronted with is that the platform engineering job function is terribly immature and the whole space is very rapidly evolving, but it's it's really just evolving. Um, so if you look at uh, what you previously did at um, at uh, Pivotal, uh, Paula, like th that was actually like a front runner, um, but an outlier uh, in, in its time really. Um, yeah. If you look at the job profiles, um, platform engineers, and you can see, you can see how that is growing up, growing up, like all of the data, that, that we're observing, um, I mean, th those communities are a good example. The, the, the update is really rapid. I'm seeing a significant uh, increase in the willingness of a business to put the money where their mouth is and then actually support the platform team. Um, so I think we're seeing that maturity and we're seeing that these functions have to learn, frankly, like SRE or DevOps teams. And I like, no, I'm aware that nobody likes to, to call them that way, but like, call them whatever you want operations team they, they they learn to actually articulate their value and that's i think very important and um, one of the exercises that i'm i i recommend to platform engineering teams is, is to say i'll take a white piece of paper 
and write down what are the things that go beyond the simple update of an image and then normalize that. How often do you do that against 100 deployments? And how much time does that now involve for developers and from operations? You know, and then false rank, and you can build your own ROI case. You know, every good product manager um, is looking at what's my contribution to the business. If you don't do that, then, I mean, you can't blame that the management that much because they're just making uh, decisions with the data that they're confronted with. If they're not confronted with data, then they cannot make a decision. Well said, Casper. Anyone else got yeah. any thoughts on on that? Yeah, I fully agree on what you're saying. That's one of the challenges I'm facing right now. I'm not that good with metrics and all that, and I'm learning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I find that some of those aspects that you, we would like to tackle, we we really feel that there's a big need for something very spe specific. In our case, it's uh, integration tests and uh, and building all that the, the CI. The CI portion is very intricate and it's it's heavy for developers, uh, and it has tolls on many aspects. So it takes time to run. It's really difficult to set up when you want to troubleshoot. It's super complicated to to uh, assemble everything together, configure everything, uh, and uh, it's complicated in the the CI pipelines. It's difficult to onboard developers like new. Uh, new uh like newcomers and also we might even end up losing people in the end if it's too complicated uh, to work in their uh, work environment but all of those things are all like really uh disseminated uh, metrics that if we want to to gather all that up together it will be a, a major uh, uh endeavor to, to yeah. try to measure the cost to the business of of just that aspect of things. Mm, super interesting. Paul, have you got any experience? I know I like Casper's phrasing there in terms of Pivotal was ahead of its time. I worked with like Pivotal like when I was at Open Credo. We often sort of went hand in hand to companies. And looking back, I 100% agree with that statement. Like just the way of working, the um, connection of people and tech was, was super ahead of its time. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, did you use any metrics to you know prove to the business the value we were you were delivering, that kind of thing? We did. Uh, we we had. Uh, I mean, we talked about the five S's, which was you know security, scalability, speed, savings. One other one that I can't remember. <laughs> uh, so we had a lot of metrics, and actually, um, it's interesting when I look back. I, I appreciate Casper's point. It's interesting when I look back. Like I was talking about uh, developer experience and platform as a product in two thousand and eighteen. And it feels yeah, yeah. like, you know, before Team Topologies came out, even it was something yeah, we talked yeah. about a lot at, at Pivotal. Um, one of the one of the most interesting experiences I had was doing a, a platform inception with a big bank. And we managed, I don't know how quite how we managed it, but we managed to persuade them for the for the kind of inception meeting to bring along. We, we put this big request in. We didn't think they were going to do it. We asked them to show up with the product team that was going to be putting their first application onto the platform. Mm, love it and the whole platform team and somebody from security and somebody from compliance and somebody from networking. We, we, we sent out this list of, we want people from all these different stakeholders to show up into this inception for two days. Oh, quite uh, and they did. And to, to Casper's point, one of the exercises we did was we put up this, this huge uh, long whiteboard. It was kind of whiteboard post-it things. And then we mapped out the journey from oh, developer has an idea yeah. for something that they want to put on this application. 
And then what are all the steps? What are all the steps that have to happen to get it to production? And we drew a line and we basically asked uh, all the teams <laughs> to put all their steps up there. And then what was interesting was the platform team or the operations team, I think they were probably described at that point, put all their stickies up. And then we asked the developers to go up and say, which steps out of this massive journey do you actually care about? And anything <laughs> you don't care about, pull them below the line. And so the developers literally <laughs> took most of those stickies down and were like, yeah, we don't care about all these things. We just want to yeah. see a dev environment, a journey to push, and then go live. And like, it, was, it was very simplified. And I think there were so many conversations that happened in those two days between all those stakeholders mm, where they'd never had that. And to yeah. be able to map out that, I mean, we did a lot of value stream mapping at Pivotal as well, but to map out that journey and then look at, there were so many steps in the process. Which ones take the most time? Which ones can we cut out? Which ones don't, any, nobody cares about. Everyone thinks compliance cares about this step, but actually compliance <laughs> are sitting in the room and they don't care about that step. Oh, fascinating. Like, those yeah. conversations, I mean, that was such a fantastic exercise. I love the value stream mapping and also user journey mapping. I'm like reading about that many years ago, a few years ago in the book, that kind of stuff. Like a few of us have said several times, think about the customer, think about the blockers and then dive in, right? I think that's what I'm hearing from all of you. That's the, you've got to step back a little bit, some point in the journey to a platform, do your analysis and go how, yeah, what what's our next steps, I guess. And that leads on to my next um, question actually is, if, and let's maybe look at this perhaps one and then the other, if platform is being developer-led, where do you recommend folks start in that journey? What's the most important thing or is that a daft question? I mean, I have a, I can tell you what I'm what I'm observing most. Um, I, I'm, I'm very careful with recommending stuff because it's so, you know, it's so specific to the business that you're in and then you say things and people you know, respond and it has a very large impact um, on, on their daily life. So I'm a little careful. Um, but uh, what, I'm, what I'm seeing most often that I think teams should fix is configuration management. I mean, this is so, uh, I think this is something that's so underappreciated. It's not, it, it, it's, it's, I think this is where, and like, by frankly, like we see on average that uh, you, the, 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 the most, the thing that you do most often if, apart from, just updating an image is just frankly adding an environment variable <laughs> or applying a change across all uh, environments. And if you don't do that well, you really drive change failure rate through inter-environment drift. And so there, this is something that's not that you know complex. You just need to uh, look at it and maybe streamline the way you work against baseline charts and like uh, and how like what's your strategy of actually aligning applications and infrastructure configurations that's for me something that feels maybe not super intuitive uh, but th but that i'm seeing a lot this assumes to be fair that your ci cd stream your ci stream your git push you know deploy stream that's figured out if that's not figured out, right, that's probably what you want to look at uh, first. Love it. Anyone else got any thoughts? I think my <laughs> where I come at it is probably a different place to Casper. Um, I mean, thinking about where to start, I tend to be, my natural instinct is always to start very, very high level. But I, I try to think about something like kind of the Wardley mapping, where I think God. about like, what's commodity and then what's uh you know 
what's the what's the unique part that you should focus on um and so i completely take casper's point about like you, there's certain building blocks that have to be in place like you have to have that kind of a cicd pipeline you have to have certain things but like where you try to analyze the maybe the the full set of requirements that you need bearing in mind kind of thinnest viable but the set of requirements and then think about well build versus buy what what is not unique what is not special to me that i can just bring in what whatever tool is the best tool or whatever the team has a bit of knowledge on that is like the lowest cost to onboard onto or what seems to be the most popular and supported thing in the community that i can use and therefore lean on community for to support like bringing in the things or if you've already got existing things like again to casper's point earlier it's not like people generally everyone ends up with a platform <laughs> yeah See, you've got a platform somewhere even if you don't know it whether right? you want it or not yeah totally. so um but looking at what you've got and then looking at what's your differentiation what's the bit that you really need to focus your platform engineering team on versus what things that you currently have that maybe someone has built and now it's being supported by one person who's left the business maybe or you know try to analyze from a from a very high level like what are the bits that you can just get 90 or 95 percent of what you need out of the box and kind of compose those and then what's the bit you focus on which is your special unique sort of source and then try to think okay this is what we've currently got let's swap out some of these things standardize on these things and add extra bits where we actually have the unique needs that we actually uniquely need and we just don't think we're unique and actually we could just buy off the shelf does that make sense? Mm, it does. Well, I mean, I, the, definitely I've seen on my journey, like folks building their own Kubernetes clusters now. I'm, to be honest, most, most times I push back and go, why aren't you using GKE, AKS? You know, take your pick of vendor, right? Some very special needs, you need to terraform it yourself, but more often than not, you don't. So as and I love Wardly mapping. I, I've, I've thought about it a few times uh, in this conversation, Paula. You mentioned about looking for duplication. Wardly mapping is really good at looking for duplication across businesses. But I just think, yeah, that that is a that's a very, very interesting uh, statement. Matthew, have you got any sort of thoughts on, on those? Yeah, I guess that if it emerges from developers, for example, if you have a start a small startup that uh, with a small team and they have everything in their hands and they want to make sure that they don't paint themselves in the corner, uh, what I'd say is really to just stick to best practices like in the industry. There's, there's a lot of, of content about that. For example, the 12-factor app uh, so like Casper uh, mentioned, like adding environment variables and all that, it assumes that you do control everything through environment variables in the first place. So just doing those things like sticking to like uh, one app per process and uh, like sticking to regular uh, like uh, signaling, uh, like Linux based signaling or whatever uh, on Windows, but to, to put everything in containers, if you do that, in the first place, when you start, uh, then it's really uh, it, all the possibilities are really open to you afterwards. Do you really need Kubernetes or do you want to go on Heroku? All those are uh, still possibilities if you did uh, create your application uh, with best practices uh, in the first place. And and I really like what uh, what Paula said about. Uh, like not reinvent, reinventing the wheel when you uh, when you're designing your system to really focus on on value. So what I always try to advocate for is uh, not try to host everything yourself. Yeah. Um, 
like with Kubernetes, it's super easy to spin up a, a, a database or whatever you, you need a Kafka, a, a Kafka cluster and all that. But just try to refrain from doing that. Just use managed services as yeah. much as possible. Uh, externalize all those concerns. And like you said, the Kubernetes cluster, use a managed uh, Kubernetes service and really focus on building a good application with uh, best practices. And I mean, frankly, the Jason Warner said that, um, the, the CTO at GitHub, and he was with Heroku previously, he was a little bit biased, but I'm not biased, I think I can say it. Um, <laughs> actually, like 90% of the world should run on Heroku. Like that's like <laughs> that's really my core belief. They, the the vast majority of teams that I'm seeing, like always wondering, like what's the material difference for you, like running these ultra complex things? It's you're you're literally taking a tractor to do your grocery cho uh, shopping, <laughs> and and that's not very it's not very productive. But the what I um what I what resonated with me, Mathieu, is you. You want to, as a development team, I think, and Paul, you said that as well, it has a lot of cultural components to it, right? Mm. And, and even more important than fancy golden paths are, frankly, to sit down and to come to an agreement about the lowest common tech denominator, if you want, right? And that could be 12-factor application. That could be, hey, if we're using Kubernetes, okay, let's do that, but we are going to standardize on helm eks that's our standard flow and this is what the entire business is focusing on all units because you know you can weave sprinkle in a little lambda here and there that's fine but if you really scatter things all over the place a little bit here a little bit there you're not actually getting the effects of scale the all of these fancy tools you're bringing in you know they will not actually deliver their roi you're making the 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 life so tough for the operations team so that's why i'm always advocating like sit down spend too much time explaining the value of standardization make like clear that standardization does not go at the expense of individual freedom like mm. the contrary is actually the case and a setup is not better if you find the last niche technology to fit a certain case i'm i'm always taking an example that um engineers hate and i'm still taking it so imagine you're a sales team right and imagine you you sell to the enterprise and you go into salesforce and you completely customize salesforce because you say i actually don't want to have my processes follow a, a, a software in salesforce Now, is that a good idea? Like, is have you have you ever met any <laughs> high-profile sales team doing that? No, they're actually designing their processes following the software. Now, I think there is a and Gregor Hopper speaks about this as well, like a lot. Don't get locked in, avoiding lock-in. Think <laughs> yeah. about these lowest common tech denominators. Is something that I, I find very very important. Oh, love it. I love it. It reminded me a bit of the conversation um, you had, Matthew, in your presentation around um, 
is it golden pads and golden cages and you were sort of almost as the opposite to what um Casper was saying there it's like the 90 percent of the world on Heroku I think is a super I need to ponder that a super interesting quote but Matthew I'd love to get your thoughts on a sort of counterpoint to that as in because my understanding where you were talking around the golden cages was if we're too opinionated <clears throat> and force folks into one way of doing things is that what I did I understand correctly um I guess I guess what I, I meant about that was that uh, it's it's all right to have golden paths, but uh, and, and and to be super opinionated, as you said, Casper. To like in our case, we try to for all our databases to be uh, all on MySQL, uh, ideally all the same version. Uh, we try to really stick to that as much as possible. Uh, all the asynchronous communication, we try to do it through PubSub. And eventually, for some technical reason, we, we were forced into going to Kafka. Uh, but we're still trying to minimize the, the exceptions. But it's okay to have exceptions. So that's what I, I guess I, I meant about golden cages. Golden paths should be the easiest path, should be, should be the best one, the, the one that covers most of your cases, but it's almost impossible to avoid exceptions. And if developers don't have like those exit routes to, to do some exceptions, uh, they will be stuck on, the, or on your golden path and it's no longer a golden path, it's a, it's a golden cage or a golden tunnel. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what I meant about that. Ah, but, great. And, and that's why I mentioned the three levels of abstraction. First one being, okay, complete recipes. That's your best golden paths. And then you have maybe uh, like pre, uh, pre-paved section of, uh, of paths that developers could uh, uh, place in the, the order they want. And then even if, uh, uh, if you have that, you still need like a third escape Hatch, like do whatever you want. You can still do that within the same ecosystem if there's exception. Let's just do it. And then afterwards, we'll figure out how we can maybe try to bring that back into our golden path, maybe make it a new standard. Like, for example, in our case, when we introduce Kafka as a, uh, an alternate way of doing uh, asynchronous messaging, uh, we decided to make it a new standard. So now it's not, it's no longer an exception. It's a, a new way of doing uh, asynchronous messaging. And we'll even try to phase out uh, the Google PubSub and try to do everything through uh, Kafka eventually. So, so it's, it was okay to have that exception in the beginning. It, it drove innovation. It allows, uh, it allowed mm-hmm. us to move forward, but, uh, but it shouldn't stay that way. You, you shouldn't have like exceptions that are growing everywhere all over the place you should try to eventually tie them up and and bring them back into a a standard uh, golden path fantastic fantastic i know we're getting close to time here uh really appreciate everyone's input i think we could talk for like days right i'm sure if we meet at conferences we probably will do so i'm looking forward to that actually meeting in person would be fantastic but um just as a wrap-up um any sort of pithy final thoughts the conversation we've been having today and i'd love each of you in turn just go through where folks can reach out to you as well if they want to continue the conversation they want to explore more the work you're doing that'd be uh, much appreciated so matthew should we start with there uh, with you final thoughts and where folks can reach you yeah, uh, just to say I'm super excited with uh, everything that's happening in the platform space. 
and all my team were, were really uh, like uh, diving into that. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a, bra a brave new way of uh, perceiving all, that, uh, all the challenges that, uh, that uh, we are facing. Uh, we are uh, hiring, we are growing so fast, we are hiring in the DevOps team, but also uh, all forms of uh, engineering roles. So if you're interested, uh, just uh, visit our uh, careers page on uh, nesto.ca. And otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm available on uh, LinkedIn and uh, I have a few uh, funny videos on, uh, on YouTube about uh, recruiting at Nesto. <laughs> nice. Check that out. Brilliant. Casper, final thoughts and where folks can reach out to you. Sure. I think like there's this one more thing that's really important to me and that's sort of around abstraction. If I'm speaking about finding lowest common tech denominators and I'm, you know, thinking that you should actually use Heroku, I very much agree with uh, Mathieu. We should actually stop talking or I want to stop talking, let's speak for myself, about abstraction at all. I don't think... Um, abstraction is a is a is a good word. Um, abstraction always implies that you're taking away context, and context is incredibly important if we want to do our work well as a as an as an engineer. It's really, I think about I, I what I love as a concept and what I'm diving into more and more is what I call standardization by design. How can we um, build flows? How can we build concepts that just by using the human behavior and psychological profile really um, lead to standardization inside of an organization. And um, I'm, I've, and I, I find myself guilty the, that some of the platforms that I advocated for or built a couple of years ago now have been very UI heavy, for instance. It's something that I'm completely getting away from. Um, I'm a big advocate of everything as code, full focus on making sure we simplify without ever taking away context. Mm. Um, that's very important for me. And you can reach me at kasper at humanitech.com. I very appreciate, much appreciate if people reach out and share their critique or feedback not many people do, uh, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I'd really love to hear from you. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. And I think it's a whole new podcast around abstractions. And, and I, I think that's super interesting. And the sort of socio-technical aspects there, I think, are fascinating too. Paula? Uh, I wanted to just... My final thoughts are really around something that Casper mentioned about sort of everybody wants Heroku. They just want to build it themselves. I feel like that's a kind of a Kelsey <laughs> yeah. Hightower quote. <laughs> everybody a, wants a pad, just yeah. as long as they've built it themselves. Um <laughs> It's definitely something I learned from my, my time at Pivotal. I mean, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, as it was then, was similar to Heroku in that, you know, perfect for 12-factor apps. But to, to Mathieu's point, the problem we faced time and time again as we rolled it out to customers was it was absolutely fantastic for a certain percentage of workloads. But there were always exceptions. And one of the things we learned from, from Pivotal days was Pivotal was a very opinionated platform, very opinionated company, but we showed up with strong opinions. And it was perfect for some things, perfect for a lot of things, but not perfect for everything. Mm. And so this is something we've, we've learned, like my team uh, at Centasa, we've learned from our experience there. And this is where we're now very much in agreement with Casper. Like standardization is the way that you can 
you know, gain economies of scale and economies of scope. Like you have lots of benefits, but there were always edge cases. And the way Mathieu talks about taking those edge cases and then making them as standard as possible, like bringing them in. I absolutely love that as well. I think that's fantastic. Mm. But I think anyone who is thinking of either building or buying a platform has to try to focus on like make the 80% you know, as standard as possible, but leave room for those edge cases. You have to add that extra unique value on the top. There's like that magic source that your business needs that only you can actually build. Um, if folks want to reach out to me and give me any thoughts or feedback on that, uh, they can reach me. So sintasso.io is our website with a contact us, or you can reach me on Twitter. I feel like I hang out on Twitter quite a lot. A bit too much. But my <laughs> same Twitter, here, I'm the same. Way too much. But my <laughs> yeah, Twitter yeah. handle is Paula L. Kennedy, so you can find me there as well. Fantastic. Really appreciate everyone's time. Thanks a lot.